Hi, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Womankind. I'm here with my friend, Teresa Morlock. She is an editor at Rosen Publishing, and she's here today to talk to us about many issues that we'll get into shortly. Um, but first, we're going to talk about something that Teresa actually posted on our Womankind Facebook page. Um, it was a series of videos by David. D David Schwimmer was the director of them, correct? Yes. Um, and he, they are videos that depict incidents of sexual harassment. Um, and I thought it was very interesting. So I'm just going to throw it over to Teresa for a second here to tell us where she found those videos and why she posted them. So I saw those videos on Facebook that somebody else had posted them and I started watching them. And I guess what I really liked about them was that they seemed very convincing to me, um, just as far as how subtle the sexual harassment was and the way it can start out and seem like a joke or seem like maybe you're being uptight or taking it too seriously and then it crosses this line into something that makes you very uncomfortable. So I'm lucky to be in a job now where I don't have to worry about sexual harassment in the workplace but I've been in positions before where I did feel uncomfortable um, and was made uncomfortable by people in positions of authority. Um, so I thought that it was interesting that the videos really um, explored that in a way that seemed natural and convincing to me. Now, I only watched the first two videos, and I had to stop after watching two of them because they were so real and upsetting. And I kind of stopped because I was like, well, I feel like I don't have anything left to learn here because I've been through this experience already, which is kind of like a frightening thing. And I, I commented back to the post basically about how I remember being like much younger and experiencing things like that with like coworkers um, when I was working in like food service and just kind of thinking to myself like, okay, that person did something that made me uncomfortable, but I don't think that's sexual harassment because he didn't exactly do anything right like it's more like someone made a comment where I I kind of stepped back you know at being like a 17 or 18 year old and asking myself like was that something or wasn't it something and then ultimately like brushing it off right so I don't know I'm glad that those are out there for people to see to kind of label those incidents as sexual harassment yeah and maybe for men to watch them and be able to identify things that could be perceived as sexual harassment even if it's not what they're meaning to come across as. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not always like super overt where someone right. is like, you know, like grabbing you or like throwing you down on the ground and like raping you or something like that. It's right. it's more subtle than that. So I appreciated that post. All right, so Teresa, let's get into your story. So who are you, and what are you all about? Um, I am a 27-year-old straight white female, <laughs> um, and I wanted to kind of preface um, the interview with that information because I want to talk about um, gender and sexuality, and I want to be clear that I know my limitations in talking about those topics because I have a limited experience. Um, so hopefully I won't offend anyone with anything I say, um, but I'm a person who's always been really interested by gender identity and what it means to be a man or a woman. Um, so I guess that's what I wanted to explore mm -hmm. a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, 
So as a as a kid, I was really drawn to stories about gender bending or defying gender norms. Um, some of my favorite books and movies were about girls who, for one reason or another, would cross dress, um, like the book Nowhere to Call Home. I don't know if you're. I don't that. know that one. A lot of young adult books actually mm-hmm. have that theme. Um, the Journey of Natty Gann. Writing freedom, and then like movies like Yentl and Mulan. Um, so I was really interested by that idea of someone performing a gender that wasn't um, the sex that they were born with, pretty much. Um, and my friend Andrea and I, when we were little, would play this like imaginary world, and my alter ego in that world was a boy, and it wasn't something that I ever like thought about or like explored too much when I was a kid. It just felt natural to me. Um, but when I was older, I started to think about like, hmm, I wonder why I wanted to pretend that I was a boy when I was a kid. Well, actually, I actually have a story that I've only, only a few people know this about me, uh, but I have a similar story. Oh, really? I, when I used to swim in my pool, when I was like, maybe like eight or nine, I used to pretend that I had a talk show in the pool where I would interview like ocean animals. Um, and I, my, the name of my show was Oceanographer Craig. Oh. Because apparently I was a boy named Craig. Yeah. And I, like you just said, I never thought about it. Like I never really, it never really crossed my mind that that was like. Yeah. Different to do that, but it, it was just normal. I was Oceanographer Craig. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> um, so even before I became a sexually aware person. Um, I liked thinking about ideas about gender. And I was lucky enough when I was young to know a lot of people who weren't heterosexual. Um, Two of my close family friends when I was growing up were married to each other. And um, my two best friends from high school are both lesbians. Um, And now that I'm an adult, I know all sorts of people who identify sexually as different things and it feels very natural to know people like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So the way that I understand the word heteronormativity is that it's the assumption that um, everyone is heterosexual and complies with traditional gender norms. So like a man is supposed to marry a woman, a woman is supposed to be attracted to men and those type of traditional things. Um, so as someone who identifies as heterosexual myself, but is, um, close to a lot of non-heterosexual people, I think I've questioned that more than I would have otherwise growing up in the kind of environment I had, because I did grow up in like a small, like sheltered kind of town. So Mm -hmm. if I didn't have friends who weren't heterosexual, I don't know if I would have thought about those things. I mean, and I, on the other hand, grew up in a very, um... Catholic-centric, you know, situation. So I was not exposed to people of that identified um, with different genders or that didn't subscribe to just, like, binary gender roles. And um, it's interesting now, as an adult, looking back and thinking about my, like, sheltered experience as well. Yeah. Um, so some of the questions that that's kind of challenged me to ask are... Um, why am I heterosexual? Is that something that I was born with or something that was like indoctrinated in me by society? Or um, what attracts to, what attracts me or appeals to me as a person? And in what ways do I myself perform gender? 
<laughs> uh, those are good questions. I mean, so I don't know if I have like direct answers to those, but I think they're interesting questions for everyone mm-hmm. to like face to mm-hmm. themselves, pose to themselves. Yeah, those are definitely thoughtful questions. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and there's some that people sometimes maybe never think of in their lives. Right. Um, so this is today I read an article, I think it was on NPR today, and it was about um, kind of like the younger generation of people coming up and how they experience gender and how they experience sexuality. It was actually mostly focused on gender and about how I think the statistic was that a third of younger people do not identify as a gender or they're either like non-gender specific or um I don't remember what the other word is for but they don't subscribe to like binary gender roles where there's like male and female um and it's just interesting how for younger people it's just so normal and the (laughs) other thing that I like realized from the article is how offended people that are older are by this concept yeah and I don't know is it just scary to them I don't I don't understand what's what the offensive issue is here I think it probably is scary I think we're lucky enough to have grown up in our generation and be at least okay with questioning those things mm-hmm. <laughs> um whereas our, even our parents generation like it's a little more difficult um, to be comfortable with those shades of gray, you know? Definitely. Yeah. Um, so are there more things that you want to speak to on this or are you going to kind of get into it in your other questions as well? I guess the only other thing I wanted to mention was that I minored in women's studies when I was in college, um, because I wanted to explore those questions more deeply. Mm -hmm. Um, but what's silly about that is that I when I was in college and even now sometimes I don't tell people that I studied that because they tend to have really negative Mm -hmm. reactions to it and I think when I was in school I was afraid of being like pigeonholed like I was afraid of someone thinking that I was like a butch girl because Mm -hmm. I studied women's studies which now that I'm a more confident and hopefully evolved person I wouldn't be afraid of those Mm -hmm. things but um so I wanted to question these things, I wanted to talk about them, but I was afraid of people knowing that I was interested in them. I think that's a pretty common thing when you're younger, for sure. I mean, it's like, on the show, sometimes when we mention the word feminism, people have reactions. (laughs) I know, which is surprising to (laughs) me now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Do you have any comments about that? We've talked about that on so many episodes on this, but I like to hear everyone's input on whether or not they are afraid of the word feminism or if they have a different interpretation of it than other people or I think what's dangerous about it now is that it's become something to sell like the t-shirts that Mm -hmm. say like I don't know different feminist quotes it doesn't Mm -hmm. seem authentic in some ways so that's what would keep me from saying I was a Mm -hmm. feminist and I also feel like it's difficult to call yourself a feminist or like a woman's studies minor because they're just female terms. If you could just call it gender, like I'm a, I'm all for gender equality mm-hmm. or I don't know, something more inclusive mm-hmm. and not just feminine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because then I think that does 
turn people, some people off, I guess. Yeah. I actually had a student recently for a project that, um, a statement that she wanted to make through the project was saying that we don't need feminism anymore, but her <laughs> point was saying, was that she was making was that, uh, we don't, we shouldn't even need to say it. Like it should just be a given for everyone to understand that equality is something that needs to happen. Right. Um, I mean, maybe I would have said the same thing at 17 um, without knowing what I know now. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, we definitely still need it. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. But maybe find a more inclusive way to go about it. <laughs> um, so Teresa, tell me a little bit about what it means to you to be a woman. Oh, something I was thinking about was uh, I feel like being a woman in 2017 to me means appreciating and honoring my heritage as a woman who inherited freedoms and advantages from female ancestors who had to face a lot more challenges than I've had to in my life. Um, so for example, I didn't vote in the primary and it was something that I felt really terrible about because I've learned all about women's suffrage and the women's rights movement and it's, um, it's kind of shameful to me that I just took that for granted and didn't exercise my right um, when so many people fought so hard to give me a voice. So that's something that I feel very aware of as a modern woman. I want to take full advantage of all the opportunities that I have that people in the past wouldn't have had. I agree with that. And even uh, last episode, we talked about something as little, like not little, it's huge, but something that I took for granted as like being on the track team in high school. The fact yeah. that there are women's sports and that um, when we talked about Catherine Schweitzer last episode, like a woman was almost shoved to the ground for trying to run with men in the Boston Marathon. Like right. what, you know, things that I do every day that I wouldn't be able to do if it were 50 years ago or 100 years ago, yeah. which you don't even think about. You just... Or if you were in a different country, like being right. an American woman. Definitely. means something different. Definitely. I think about that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was your personal answer. Yes. Um, <laughs> does, do you have a more general answer, or do they kind of go hand in hand? Um, I think they go hand in hand. I think that... We're at a stage in society where it's more acceptable to do, I don't know, maybe this sounds like a little too privileged to me, but I was going to say to do whatever you want and be whoever you want to be. And that's not true for everyone. So I don't, maybe that's too much to say. But maybe that's um, true for you. Yeah. Yeah. So not to be held back by your own fears or mm -hmm. anxieties. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what are your favorite parts of being a woman? Um, I like to wear dresses mm -hmm. and um, I, I like that there's a lot of freedom to express yourself as a woman, um, to be an emotional person and to like all sorts of different things. I think as a man it's more difficult um, you're labeled in certain ways if you if you like things that don't comply with male gender norms. Um, I think as a woman, like talking about sexuality, you're a little more free to experiment. I think that men um, have more difficulty if 
if they do have a relationship with another man to come back and have a relationship with a woman I feel like that's they're a little more isolated whereas women you get your gender is a little more fluid um, I think I don't know I think it's great to be a woman I love being a woman I wouldn't want to be a man which I know is something that you talked about mm -hmm. on your show before too I think that it's it's a tough thing to be a man. <laughs> yeah, know? I definitely, I don't, I mean, we, we talk a lot about how it's hard to be a woman on Womankind, but <laughs> I think in many ways it's harder to be a man. Mm -hmm. um, and a great resource for understanding for me um, as a woman kind of thinking about what it's like to be a man is there's a documentary on Netflix called um, The Mask You Live In, and it's about men and how they're socialized and... Um, just talks a lot about like like being macho and like the suppression that men have to undergo and uh, it's just very interesting to see it from that perspective and like I've said before like I'm a very emotional person and having to suppress those emotions would probably kill me so <laughs> that is something to think about in terms of men and how they're socialized and I think that it has um, in some ways gotten better where it is more acceptable to for men to show their emotions and it's becoming more of like a normal thing but I think that underlying um you know forced suppression is still yeah present for sure yeah and that actually one of the other things I was going to say um one of my favorite things about being a woman is having close friendships with other women mm -hmm. and I think that although men do have close friendships with each other um you can have a different level of intimacy being able to express yourself more mm -hmm. openly so I feel fortunate in that way to be a woman mm -hmm. and it is so different I mean we've seen that even like within our own circle of friends I won't say too much about that <laughs> but uh, we have kind of the girls that have bonded together and the boys who are friends with each other and like that's how Teresa and I know each other through our men basically mm -hmm. um, and the friendships between the women and the friendships between the men are different <laughs> yes <laughs> in the way that we relate to each other yes. um I'm gonna get in trouble for saying that I think um so I just wanted to comment back on something else that you said too um in terms of like how it's easier to be more fluid as a woman mm -hmm. um I was talking with um some of my friends the other day who have um um infant girls mm -hmm. and we were talking about like the clothing that they buy for them and how they're trying to be trying to not, you know, buy, like, the frilly pink, um, things and kind of, like, trying to avoid that whole, like, you know, where people just go up to young girls and just say, oh, you look so pretty today, like, trying to have, like, more meaningful conversations with young girls instead of just focusing on how they look. Right. Um, but something that uh, one of my friends brought up is that, so now, like, gender-neutral clothing is just more, like, tr like, stereotypical boy clothing. It's not, like, like, you don't see many boys, like, wearing a pink shirt or, like, a frilly tutu or anything right. like that. Mostly you see the girls that are kind of swinging towards the more, like, male-oriented clothing. Mm -hmm. And so it's not really, like, gender-neutral. It's just, like, playing into the patriarchy, basically. Yeah. Um, and so I'm not really sure what we can do about that <laughs> or no. what the solution is. I think that that's, that's a difficulty that... Uh, my family friends who I was talking about um, who are married, they have a son, and I do think that it was a concern of theirs to make sure that he had enough 
masculine, masculine toys, masculine mm -hmm. activities because they were concerned about being two women raising a boy. Um, and I think that that would, it's challenging to be a parent now and want to allow your kid to be whoever they are. Um, but also, I don't know, not make those decisions for them, I guess. That's the only solution is to give your kid a lot of freedom in terms of deciding what they want to wear and what they want to play with. Definitely. It's just hard to be a parent. Yeah, that... <laughs> no matter what. Yep. That seems to be the consensus yeah. that I've seen on that. Um, but there is a company that I keep forgetting the name of. What is it called? Um, I'll have to just look this up and put, but basically it's, there are a couple of companies out there that are making, um, clothing for little girls that instead of having, you know, like bows and like flowers on them, they have like the pie sign or like dinosaurs or spaceships, um, just to kind of, or like even like, I think I saw one with like DNA strands on it, um, Aww. just to kind of get like conversations going with, um, young girls about science and about math and like getting them excited about those things. Um, and if I ever remember the name of the company, I will say it, but I don't right now, <laughs> but there are a couple out there. Um, so I think that I was asking what your favorite parts of being a woman were, but I think we took like a dark turn there, Covered. but my, uh, what are the hardest parts of being a woman to um, you? Having expectations to fulfill and feeling like you've failed if you don't meet those expectations. Um, as far as life goals, um, I'm a person who has never been terribly ambitious as far as a job goes. Um, I think I would be happy kind of staying in the position that I'm at for a long time. Uh, I very much want to have kids and I very much want to be at home with my kids when they're little, which is already something I'm struggling with. Um, as far as my ideas about myself as a woman, because you feel immediately ashamed of thinking that you can't do both at once, like be a parent and be a worker. And this isn't even a problem that I'm having to deal with yet, but planning for my future, I'm already like grappling with the shame of thinking like, oh no, does it mean something bad about me if I stay home with my kids? But then I think also like as a human, it's part of, I don't know, it's, it's part of my job as a living creature to like raise my young <laughs> and that's an okay thing to do um, but I think that there's an expectation to be able to do everything at once and to be really smart and really beautiful and really loving and a great parent and a great wife and just be able to juggle everything at once and that's an exhausting thing to think about mm -hmm. that's a lot to take in yeah, <laughs> that is absolutely yeah. true um, and I hear, I have a lot of friends who are, are new mothers and who are kind of like grappling with this situation. And ultimately, for the most part, um, most of them, you know, they've been working up until that point and they kind of have this moment where they say like, oh, like maybe I would stay home, um, but then ultimately end up going back to work, but then also mm -hmm. dealing with, you know, I'm, I need to be at work and do this and accomplish all this, but then I also need to be at home and do this and accomplish all this. And it's just kind of like this um, struggle, this like push and pull yeah. from what I've seen. Yeah. But I haven't experienced, so I don't know what it's like to be in that position. But 
Teresa, you need to do what you want to do. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we encourage that on this show. <laughs> I, I would love to homeschool my children and <laughs> just live on a creepy commune. <laughs> Happy people and grow our own food. Mm-hmm. Um, that will relate we'll to something that I'm talking about later on the oh. show. We'll, we'll get to that in stories of subversion. <laughs> Um, so what do you think the world needs to know about women that it doesn't know right now? Um, I think that we need to always remember that women are human first and then women. Um, there's this really great quote in the book, Reviving Ophelia. Um, I don't know the exact quote. I need to read that. I've never read it. It's very good. Mm -hmm. You would like it. We should read passages of it. Um, But the long and short of it is that when you're a little kid, you get to be just a full-time human. And then as soon as you go through puberty, you're on display and you're a woman. You're like a different kind of creature. You're not just a human anymore. So that's especially hard for women, but I think that that's something we should remember about everyone. Everyone is just a human Mm -hmm. and gender is a social construct and... um, we can be comfortable with people just being humans first and whatever else second. I, you used the word creature, and I feel like that's <laughs> such a, that's like so perfect because that is what it feels like sometimes. Like mm-hmm. you're just this thing and not a human. Yeah, hmm. nailed it. Thank you. Um, What issue that affects women are you most passionate about, would you say? Um, The way sexuality can be used as a weapon against women. Um, I think that women are very much defined by their sexual experience um, in ways that, well, probably men are too. But in my experience, it seems to me that women are more defined by their sexual experience. Mm -hmm. Like... If you're a promiscuous person, you're like a certain kind of girl. Um, If you're too chaste and virginal, then you're frigid in some way or you're uptight. Um, And that's something that really bothers me. (laughs) And I think that people sometimes make decisions based on those preconceived notions. And that makes me sad. Like the woman in the situation or other Uh, Of the woman in the situation. Mm -hmm. I think that that can be kind of poison to you, you know? If Mm -hmm. you hear those messages about yourself, it's like a, I don't know, a self-fulfilling prophecy, you Mm -hmm. know? Definitely. Um, So in that vein, um, what changes would you like to see for women in the future? Um, I would like women to be free from guilt and anxiety (laughs) and... um, not care too much about meeting social expectations. I want women to be themselves. Whatever. My response, (laughs) my like immediate response to that is like, good luck. I try to be positive on the show. And I've, I'm actually um, boycotting drying and straightening my hair as of late. Good for you. Because my hair was just like breaking off and I was like, why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. So I stopped. Um, we'll see how long this lasts. It's been like two and a half weeks, mm-hmm. but I feel like that's something, a little subversive thing that I'm doing to, you know, not, you know, play up to those expectations. But I talk about this all the time. Like I, is it a matter of like expectations of my gender or is it just like basic 
like hygiene and taking care of myself because I don't know I don't know where I draw the line here but I have very unruly hair so it's (laughs) difficult for me so and it does feel good to look good it does that's true confidence if you feel like Mm -hmm. you look you look great so yeah in this this protest some days are great some days are not right now my hair is in a bun and that's where it will stay (laughs) I like that you're thinking of it as a protest that's nice that's empowering So, Teresa, who are the women that you most admire? I admire my mom (laughs) very much. Um, The older I get, the more I admire my mom. Um, When I was a toddler, she was getting her master's degree. By the time she was my age, she already had three kids. Um, And she just had boundless energy. She was a kindergarten teacher and spent all day long with tiny children who needed her. And then she would come home and do crafts with us and take us to museums and read to us every night. And she was such an incredible mom to me. And now that I'm old, (laughs) (laughs) now that I'm old and I'm tired when I get home from work, I don't understand how she was such a great mom and a great teacher at the same time. Um, so I, my mom is a great inspiration to me. <laughs> I'm sure she was tired, but she just didn't let you know. Yeah. That's, I think that's part of something that goes into, and again, I don't have this experience, but part of what goes into being a mom. Because yeah. my mom was very much the same way, and now she tells me how tired she was. But I never knew it when I was younger. I just was like, okay, she's just she's doing just it. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I guess I can relate on some level with my students, even though my students are teenagers, so they pick up on a lot of things. But I mean, some days I'm not 100% on my game, but then at the end of the class, I'll have a student say, hey, you did a great job today, or hey, thanks for that. And I'm like, oh, really? Okay, thank you. (laughs) So I think it's sometimes in parenting and anything dealing with younger people, it's kind of fake it till you make it sometimes. You're capable of more than you think you are. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Um, did I cut? Was there? No. Were there more people it. on your list? Okay. <laughs> Great. Just my mom. Um, so I think we're going to save your story of subversion till the end. Okay. Um, because I have things to say about it. <laughs> um, but I am going to talk a little bit in stories of subversion today about a local celeb here. Um, but she died in 1962. But... Um, If you are in the Buffalo area at some time between now and May 28th, I recommend that you go over to the Birchfield Penny Art Center and see the Mabel Dodge Luhan exhibit. Um, So I'm going to talk about her. So, I mean, I'm born and raised in Buffalo, and this woman is such a prominent historical figure. Well, actually, no, she is a historical figure, but I guess I would take away the word prominent because I never learned about her, and... She just has contributed so much to history. Um, so I'm just going to talk about her a little bit. And even on, like, the Birchfield Penny's website, they, like, the reason that they have the exhibit there is because she's an under-recognized figure. Um, and it's interesting why. I mean, we can talk about that later. Um, so she was born in 19, or 1869 um, in Buffalo to a wealthy family. And there's a video on YouTube that, like, talks about her life and... It's, like, the saddest description of a family I've ever seen. Like, she was, like, 
your textbook, like, neglected child of rich parents. And they just give this sad description, and in the background, they have, like, this picture of a girl sitting by herself in a party dress and, like, really sad music, and it was like, her parents couldn't feel love, and neither did she. It's horrible. Um, But anyways, she eventually grew up and... Um, when she was around 16 or 17, went to Paris and really just fell in love with arts. And from that moment on, she really became a patron of the arts. Um, and so she came back to America, but then eventually ended up um, getting married. I said I wasn't going to talk about her husbands, and here I am talking about her husbands. Um, she ended up having a son, and then after that, they moved to Italy, where she lived in a Medici palace, um, which naturally, that's what I was doing when I was around 20, living in a Medici palace. Um, and there she held salons for artists and activists and members of the literary world in Europe. And so I don't know how I've never heard about her. She was in the crowd with Gertrude Stein and James Joyce and Pablo Picasso, who were doing the same thing in Paris. But then, you know, every once in a while, they would pop over to her Medici Palace in Italy to have the same conversations. Um, then she eventually moved back to New York, and then she held a salon there um, where she invited movers and shakers. And so I've never seen any publication or heard any video where they don't refer to these people as movers and shakers. That's like the coin term. Um, and she purposely would put people together in a room that had opposite, opposite ideas. Like she had, like Margaret Sanger was someone that she hung out with, Emma Goldman, the anarchist, um, Georgia O'Keeffe. And like, sometimes she would invite like very prominent men in society and like priests and religious figures and have all these people in the same room just talking about these controversial topics, um, which I find really interesting. Um, During that time, she also had newsletters and publications, and she would promote these revolutionary ideas that all of these people had. Then her third husband, Maurice Stern, um, convinced her to move to Taos, New Mexico, where she lived out the rest of her life. Um, Basically, what I gather about her is that she was a person who really couldn't find where she fit in until she ended up in New Mexico. And she just, like, fell in love with it out there. And then, again, built... She just was all about building community and being a patron for artists and writers and thinkers and basically giving them opportunities to do what they do in order to promote change. Um, And so there, she spent time with D.H. Lawrence and Georgia O'Keeffe and Ansel Adams, among others. And she just had such an interesting life. And I feel like it's because she was a wealthy white woman at this time. Um, I mean, that she was just kind of like thought of as frivolous and that's why we don't hear about her because they were like, oh, she's dismissed as just like this rich woman who was just like gallivanting around uh, when in reality she was bringing people together and she was a deep thinker. Um, And so I think it's a shame that we haven't learned about her or I haven't learned about her until now and that we don't really hear a lot about her. But I'm glad she's getting some recognition. So like I said, head over to the Birchfield Penny. There's an amazing exhibit over there um, that basically, it basically goes through her each phase of her life, um, ending with her time in Taos. So check it out. (laughs) Sounds great. Yeah. I feel like that was a little long, long long-winded. I know. (laughs) Now now I want everyone to hear about her. (laughs) And so now, Teresa, take it away. Um... My newest favorite story <laughs> of subversive women is The Handmaid's Tale, which I read when I was probably in middle school. In middle school? Yes. 
really. Yeah. I didn't read it in school. Okay. But I read it. That was my question. I think my sister might have been reading it for school, mm-hmm. and I just read it because she was reading it. Okay. Um, and the book itself, I know it's probably terrible, but I don't really like Margaret Atwood's writing that much. I think the How story is great. <laughs> the story itself is great, but the writing didn't appeal to me that much. But the show that's now on is incredible, and it really makes the story incredibly relatable um, for modern women, especially with the current political climate um, and some scary things that are happening now uh, with challenges to reproductive rights. Um, And I just think it's really well done. And it brings up issues of heteronormativity because there are a couple characters in that show who are lesbian women and they're called gender traitors which I thought was an interesting way of putting it well why don't you give just like a brief no spoilers overview of the story so it's set in a dystopian future um, in the United States where um, this religious group has taken over control of society and is enforcing very strict traditional religious roles. So women are segregated into different groups um, and the handmaids are women who are fertile. Um, there's In this society a lot of women are infertile so the handmaidens are the women who get pregnant and bear the children um, but they're segregated from the wives and from the maids um, who have these other roles in society. But it's all under the, the guise of keeping the, you know, the husband and wife as the procreators and just kind of keeping up appearances in the society more than anything else. I just read the book. I have not seen the show yet. What did you think of Margaret Atwood? (laughs) I I like Margaret Atwood a lot. (laughs) There's something like simple and suspenseful about her writing Mm -hmm. that I like. I appreciate the story very much. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she definitely is a, a, a deep thinker. Mm-hmm. But I could, see, I could see not liking her writing. I think also just mm-hmm. in the show, there's a little more time to explore characters mm-hmm. and their motivations and their feelings. And that's, mm-hmm. that's what I like about miniseries and mm-hmm. movie versions of books sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Definitely. Um, so sorry, I did kind of cut you off before. What uh, did you finish? Um, what you were saying? I don't think I can give too much else away uh, without spoilers, mm-hmm. so I'll stop there. Okay. But I think everyone should watch it. <laughs> yeah, I'm very um, conscious of spoilers, and I don't like giving spoilers <laughs> in case people want to watch or read things. Um, but maybe a little bit later on, you know, after because it just came out um, this Wednesday, the show on Hulu. Um, so maybe after some time has passed, we can, t- I'd like to do an episode in the future where we talk about, um, female centric, um, TV shows and books. So maybe we can talk about this at a later time. Um, so Teresa, are there any thoughts or comments that you would like to leave us with at the end of this episode? Uh, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't think of anything else. <laughs> but it, it was really great talking to you about these things. <laughs> well, you have been a wonderful guest, and I feel like you've given us a lot of things to think about, a lot of questions um, that maybe people haven't thought of before. Um, I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you so much for being my guest. It was wonderful. <laughs> See you next time. Bye, friends.